hard for the Lord, amen, practicing a lot at, at home on his saxophone and taking piano lessons and, and just taking saxophone lessons. I appreciate the sacrifice that I see him making for God, and I appreciate his effort for living for God. Let's give him a big hand of appreciation for that. Thank you, brother. Thank you so much. Um, thank you for the introduction of my youth pastor, which is also my dad. Thank you for my pastor, which obviously I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for him, because there wouldn't be a church. And I'm just happy to be here so I can, like, share my ideas, and hopefully they're right. Uh, hopefully. Um, <laughs> so I'm going just, just going to dive right into my message, which the title is A Violation of Interpretation. And... From the title, you can kind of have an idea of what it means, but I'm going to go ahead and read an article about the Braves, if you don't know. One of the favorite teams of this church. The Braves had played a game in 1994, and the Braves were first in the league. They had just won three consecutive series titles, and they had a 19-11 and 11 record, which is pretty good. And they were playing the Phillies, which were last. So, obviously, you know. Braves are probably going to win. So it was a random Tuesday night game, just a normal game that obviously I've already said the Braves are probably going to win. And up until the sixth inning, it was one-to-one, -one, a close game, not far in any respect to either team. And it got to the ninth inning, and the Phillies scored seven consecutive runs, which is eight-to-one, for those who need the math. And you didn't know. In the bottom of the ninth inning, you're down 8-1. to one. In baseball, you're probably not going to win, which was almost the case. And the Braves, they got three people on base. They got the bases loaded, and the Phillies brought out their relief pitcher, which usually they're the best pitcher, and they've been resting the whole game, so they're good to go. They're going to pitch their best and hopefully close out the game. But the Braves then scored six consecutive runs, which makes the score eight to seven, which is a pretty close game, disregarding the fact that they had just been down eight to one. And you got down to two outs, which is very close. Even if they hadn't come back that far, that would still look down on the Braves' favor. They'd still probably lose. But one of the Braves players hit a home run, which tied up the game. The game was then 8-8, eight to eight, and they went into overtime, or extra innings in baseball, whatever you call it. And they went to the 15th inning without scoring any runs. And on the 15th inning, they had two people on base, and one of their players got out. And then another player got out, which means there's two outs, two people on base, which, I mean, that's still a better position than the Phillies are in. So... The third hitter came up and hit an RBI to win the game. And the point of the story is not just to talk about baseball, but to prove the fact that even at the beginning of the game, people thought the Braves would automatically win. They thought the Braves were going to sweep the Phillies and beat them, like, real bad. And so you just can't take for granted 
what isn't actually for granted, you know. You can't interpret the situation and violate that interpretation by expecting yourself to get on top or be in the better position when it's not guaranteed. And so obviously that theory was challenged when it was 8-1 to one in the bottom of the ninth. And since that's a really far game, people interpreted again that the Braves were going to lose, even though they just interpreted the Braves were going to win at the beginning of the game. So Braves were down so much, almost a guaranteed loss for any other normal game. And again, that interpretation was violated due to the fact that the Braves came back and tied it. And then people didn't know what to think. They had been proven wrong twice in a row at the beginning of the game and in the ninth inning when the Braves were guaranteed to win and then when the Braves came back. And then it got to the 15th inning. People didn't know what to think, and the Braves ended up winning, which was their first interpretation. But either way, they were proved wrong twice in a row. And that just shows that interpretation can be violated, you know. Whatever you think, there's always something unexpected that can pop up and something unexpected that can come out of nowhere, knock you on your feet, or something unexpected that can come out of nowhere and pick you up, which is God, obviously. And so, obviously, I watch sports, but I don't just watch them. I play them a lot, actually. And one thing I've learned is that no matter how far along you are in your sport, no matter how good you are, or even if it's just one game or match or whatever you play, you can be 10 points, 12 points, 15 points ahead of your opponent with one minute left in the match or one period left or whatever there is, and they can come back within two seconds. They can be hot on your tail. They can tie the game up. They can come back and win, for all you know. And it's just I've learned in sports that it's important never to take for granted the fact that you're going to win because you don't know until the game's over. And it's just, I've learned that so many times, hockey, wrestling, football, all the sports I've played. Um, um, yeah, the team can come back. They can beat you. And it's important not to violate an interpretation of what you think because you're not right. Only God knows what's going to happen. And even if you think you're about to die, whatever, you're in the worst situation possible, God can come up, sweep you off your feet, and lift you all the way to the top, and you'll be fine. And one Bible um, example of this is in 1 Samuel 7, 4 through 10. And there went out a, this is the story of Dave and Goliath. Many of you have read this, but I'm just going to read it again. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. And he had a helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. And he had greaves of brass upon his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders. And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and one bearing of a shield went before him. One bearing a shield went before him. And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are you come out to set your battle in array? Am I not a Philistine? And ye servants to Saul, choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then will we bear your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, 
Then shall ye be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. So these verses, I just read them to show you, you know, Goliath's a big dude. He's a bad old dude. He's going to wreck you in a fight. And you really don't want to fight him, especially because the other army who he just challenged, they probably don't have a Goliath. They probably don't have a big old giant that they're going to fight or put in to fight in the ring. So go down to verse 32. And yeah. 32 says, And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. So Saul just said to David, David's probably like this tall, probably skinny, probably a small little dude. I mean, I don't know, but I'm just guessing. And Saul said, no, dude, what, what are you doing? You're not going to fight. If You see that man? He's 10 feet tall. He's going to step on you. And David was like, no, let me go in there. And if you keep reading, and David said unto Saul, thy servant keep his father's sheep. And there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. So David just told Saul, he's like, dude, you might think that I'm small. You might think that I can't win this fight, but I already killed a bear. If you didn't know, bears are big. Like... (laughs) You see a bear in the wild, you're not going to walk up and fight it, even if it just took one of your lambs or whatever. You're, you're not going to fight it. You can, you can have that lamb. But David was like, no, no, God's on my side, and I can beat a stupid bear. I'm just going to push you over here. I don't care if you're a bear. God's God. And so at first Saul interpreted the fact that just because David was small, he didn't think he could win the fight. Just because David was some puny little kid, he had no chance against some 10-foot-tall, huge dude with a 5,000-pound chainmail armor thing. And so then David was like, no, I don't care what you interpreted. You just violated your interpretation because I've already killed a lion and a bear, which I'm pretty sure you have not done. And I'm pretty sure Saul hadn't done that either, even if he was some big old general dude. And if you keep reading... David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he would deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, go, and the Lord be with thee. And Saul armed David with his armor, and he put an helmet of brass upon his head. Also he armed him with a coat of mail. And David girded his sword upon his armor, and he he essayed to go, for he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I can't go with these, for I have not proved them. And David put them off him. So what just happened? Saul was like, you're a little kid. You probably need some help. You probably need some armor to go on your body, you know, protect yourself a little bit. And David was like, no, I don't care what you think the situation is. I have God on my side, and he is better than any coat of armor you could give me. And you keep reading. And the Philistine came on and drew near unto David, and the man that bare the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, 
am I a dog that thou hast comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and unto the beasts of the fields. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, who, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee. And I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistine this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And it came to pass, when the Philistine arose, he came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slung it and smote the Philistine in his forehead. That the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. So we've all heard this story countless times, Sunday school, other messages probably. And the moral of the story is don't judge a book by its cover. Don't interpret the situation before you know the outcome of the situation. Because if someone has God on their side, you have no idea what's about to go down, especially in a fight. So think about it like this. Big, tall Goliath. I've already explained how big he is. Little old David, no armor. Goliath's hulked up with all this armor. And David's like, and he kills the 10-foot-tall dude in a bunch of armor. That's what David did. He slung his stone and killed Goliath. Just let that soak in for a second. With God on your side, no matter how you interpret the situation, that can be violated because God can sweep in, swoop in, and he can fix the situation. He can raise you up, and he can bring you to the place you need to be. He can make you victorious. He can make you the head of whatever you want to be. He can make you ahead of the game. And that's just what I want to talk about tonight. A saving grace can always turn your situation around situation around for the better. Because with God on our side, there's no way we can interpret this situation without violating that interpretation. Good job. Amen. I was going to speak. He said he was only going to be four minutes, so I don't want to get, I don't want to overload the situation tonight. So if you would just stand tonight, then he'd do a great job. We appreciate that. Amen. You never know what the outcome is going to be. Amen. With God on our side. Amen. And I am thankful. That if you've been baptized in Jesus' name, you've been filled with the Holy Ghost, amen, you have got God living inside of you, amen. And if God be for us, who can be against us, amen. Pastor Morell, would you uh, pray for us in dismissal?
Amen. God bless you.